Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 412. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, a.k.a. Agent Kitty in the City. Oi, it's me. I'm a British Kitty from the city. Ooh, there was an oi in there. I don't think we heard any oi's from British Kitty in the City last week. Well, I felt like I should switch it up because someone said that we only do posh accents. And so I'm like, now I'm Cockney. Oi. <laughs> Let me sweep your chimney, sir. Is that, is I don't good? think that's how it works, no? but yeah. <laughs> like aggressively asking to sweep chimneys? That's not that's not very British? I mean, depending on the year, I don't know. Anyway. I've if, only seen My Fair Lady, you guys. <laughs> uh, if you are just joining us on This Week of Marvel, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff happening at Marvel this week. From movies to comics, games, toys, and more. There's news. There's a, a whole big talk section where we pick a topic and we, we dive into it a little bit. We have an interview. Uh, but we got to start with some top news. Lorraine, what do we got? Spider-Man Far From Home released on digital this week. There's uh, tons of special features, including a short film, cast bloopers, deleted scenes, Easter eggs, and a lot more cool stuff. Plus, Spider-Man is swinging into Marvel Contest of Champions and Marvel Future Fight and Marvel Puzzle Quest and Marvel Strike Force. Um, if you've been waiting uh, for the Blu-ray, that is going to drop on October 1st. Uh, that is that is a big deal, of course, but I feel like an even bigger deal is for us because next week we will be in San Francisco. Nobody so? knows what accent that was. I, mean, I, I have no idea what it was. Uh, so, pull list co-host Tucker Marcus, Women of Marvel co-host Judy Stevens, Pod Prod Becca, that's podcast producer Becca, if you need any help from my nonsense. Uh, and I, we are all going to Lucasfilm, as well as some other secret places. But if you're in the area, we want to see you. Yeah, um... Also, I want to see you guys. I um, have FOMO. On Thursday, September 26th at 6.30, Ryan is going to be hosting a live episode of This Week in Marvel in San Francisco's Cartoon Art Museum, which is super cool. Uh, that is 781 Beach Street in San Francisco. Uh, the guest co-host for the episode will be Greg Miller, co-founder and wonderful loudmouth um, from Kind of Funny podcast and video series, who actually was at the uh, Marvel Hall H for Marvel Games. Yeah, he's hosted uh, San Diego. He's hosted Marvel Games panels multiple times. He's been on this week in Marvel before. He's a huge Marvel fan, uh, and he's he's my friend and a shirtless Spider Man. I hear. Yes, indeed. Oh, and joining us uh, for the chat will be a legendary artist, Arthur Adams. Plus, we're bringing comics and toys to give away, or Ryan is, anyways. The event is open to the public, but you should RSVP just to be cool. Uh, you can email podcasts at marvel.com with your name and the names of anyone you're bringing. Uh, you don't have to, but it would be nice if we got a head count. So, you know, like, be kind, rewind, RSVP. I, do people know what be kind, rewind is? I'm sure some of our listeners do. but All you of- people over 30, be kind, rewind. That's right. <laughs> Uh, then on Friday, September 27th, I will be joining Greg Miller and the Kind of Funny crew for a few of their own shows, which you can watch live at twitch.tv slash kindoffunnygames or later on YouTube or listen via all their podcasts. Uh, they have all that information on their website, on their Twitter. So the Twitter is Kind of Funny Vids. Um, but they're they're great. They're really easy to find, and it's going to be a super fun time. I think San Francisco, we're going to have a lot of cool stuff out of it, a lot of Star Wars stuff and some other secret things. It, it should be really great. 
Yeah. I heard you want to shout somebody out, Ryan. Yeah, I want to shout out Mega Brain Comics in Rhinebeck, New York. They're great. They're a comic shop I visited while I was uh, joining my wife, Elizabeth Keenan, author of Rebel Girls. Yay! As she was doing a uh, book signing at a bookstore called Oblong Books in Rhinebeck. Uh, she was alongside Gabby Rivera, who wrote America Chavez comics, um, and Mary H.K. Choi, who uh, she's an amazing writer. Uh, so she was there, but two blocks away was this great comic shop, and they have an arcade and uh, some really great stuff there. So if you are in the Rhinebeck area, give them a look. They're really cool. Awesome. And this week on This Week in Marvel, we're going to have an interview with Brad Meltzer, who did a story for Marvel Comics 1000, one of the three that made me cry in that issue. Also, he's just like inspirational and awesome and has written more books than I have fingers and toes. And he's got a TV show coming with our friend Chris Eliopoulos and like all kinds of great stuff. I was bummed to miss it, but I'm glad you got to talk to Brad. Yeah, he's rad. Yeah. Uh, so our big talk this week is going to be about some of our favorite heel turns in comics, brother. What does that mean? We'll tell you later in the show. But first, things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news, colon. I'm already ruined by your full wrestling turn right there. Oh, boy, we got so much coming this December. Let's start off with a galaxy far, far outside of our reality. That's how they say it, right? Yep, that's exactly how it says it in that um, thing that needs to be keystoned. The ledger that goes up. The Keystone Cops. That's right. We're talking about Star Wars. Because this December, we journey to Hoth in Star Wars Empire Ascendant number one. You got Luke, Princess Leia, Han, Dr. Aphra, and more uniting in a big crossover one-shot. It's the next major chapter in Star Wars comics, and it begins in December in Star Wars Empire Ascendant. And it's it's super cool because it's a big, oversized, 56-page one-shot uh, with a ton of great creators. You got Charles Soule, Greg Pak, Simon Spurrier, Ethan Sachs, uh, artists like Luke Ross, Roland Boshi, and more, really focusing on uh, the rebellion going to Hoth in the wake of pretty much kicking the Empire's booty for a little while, pulling in from, of course, the major Star Wars titles, pulling in from Dr. Aphra. It's even pulling in Valance from, uh, you know, the, the Vader uh, story that's going on right now, Target Vader. That's going to be coming in December, and then stay tuned for more Star Wars. Annihilation Scourge! Let's keep going with the December goodness, baby! Uh, So, the Marvel Universe is going to be in peril with five oversized one-shot tales coming this December. We have more galactic goodness going on for December. It's a galactic buffet? Yeah, sure. A bit of galactic goulash, if you will. (laughs) That's what no one says. Um, It's going to be following November's Annihilation Scourge Alpha number one and the Silver Surfer Nova, Beta Ray Bill, my boo, the Fantastic Four, and more are going to be forced to enter a battle of cosmic proportions. Go figure. They're also hanging out in space, so it it shakes out. It's going to be beginning with Annihilation Scourge Nova number one with a really dope cover by Jose Marie Casanova's it's written by Matthew Rosenberg, BFF of Ryan Panagos, Mustache Bro, sometimes. No, he's more Beardy of a be- bro. He's a beard boy. Oh, he's a beard boy. He's a beard boy. I guess so. I've seen him with a variety of facial hairs. With art by Ibram Roberson, uh, Nova is going to be forced to team up with one of the most nefarious adversaries ever. 
a nihilist. He's a big bug man. He's not nice. He's from the negative zone, and he's very negative in general. He's got a cosmic control rod. Yeah, he does, and he keeps it in his chest. Yes, he does. It's weird. Everybody can see it. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I had a little barf moment, the, but the, I'm good now. This story is fun because Matt is sort of looking at this like he's almost the showrunner of this. He's doing that alpha in November. He's doing this Nova issue. And then there's like the other one shots featuring all the characters you talked about. And then Matt's doing again the the last issue of it. So it, it's a really neat idea. Matt tweeted about it this week and he was just like, I expect to see lots of coverage on Marvel.com all about Richard Ryder because he's Long Island's best boy, which is true. Uh, so between oh, me and Ron, like, fight the to. death. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to support our boy, Double R. Oh, you Long Island good boys. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a really fun uh, series of issues. You can read the article on Marvel.com along with the article for Star Wars and the article for the next thing, which is 2099. In the future, everyone has laryngitis. Oh, no. I need some <laughs> Listerine. Um, yeah. So the, I think it was in one of the creative retreats within the last year or so where someone was like, you know, guys, we're celebrating our 80th anniversary because we started in 1939. But 80 years from now is 2099. Oh, snap. And everybody was just like, like blood shooting out of their noses, people fainting. It's like that gif of the person like, and like being fanned because they fell backwards. It was really great. (laughs) So we are doing a whole bunch of 2099 one shots this December. You're going to have Miguel O'Hara, Dr. Doom, Ghost Rider, and more with new stories. Uh, you're going to have stuff written by Ed Brisson, Jody Hauser, Nick Spencer, Chip Zdarsky, art by Damon Cusiero, Francesco Mobley, Jose Carlos Silva, Gerardo Sandoval, Marco Castiello. Really cool. Chip Zdarsky writing Doom 2099. Amazing. Uh, I've talked about Doom 2099 on one of the shows before, and there's a whole run written by Warren Ellis that's really fantastic. Uh, it's really, really good. Of course, Spider-Man 2099, so, so good. Uh, but th- there's plenty more. Uh, you get the full rundown on these. And there's some gnarly art, like with Ghost Rider 2099. He's got a, a chainsaw hand. He's got a chainsaw hand. Yeah, because he, I assume, uh, gets the Necronomicon, and then his hand becomes evil, and he has to cut it off, and then he has a chainsaw hand. I love those movies. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> Not related to the Marvel Universe, really, at all. Oh, but there's so much more December comic stuff, including Conan Serpent War. There's two issues of the series, which is a, quote, sprawling cross-dimensional epic bringing together legendary characters from the mind of Robert E. Howard with a bit of Marvel mayhem added in for good measure, says writer Jim Zub. Uh, And so it's Conan, which is joined by Robert E. Howard Creations' Dark Agnes, who I don't believe we've ever done a comic with her, and Solomon Kane, who we have a a bit of history with here at Marvel, uh, as well as Moon Knight. Conan and Moon Knight. Conan and Moon Knight. A guy who wears no clothes with a guy who wears too many clothes. All the clothes. It's a four-part series starting in December by Jim Zub, artist Scott Eaton, and Steven Segovia. And there's going to be Marvel's Avengers Iron Man tied to the game uh, coming in May of 2020. Yeah, and that so the series actually gives us context for uh, that world months before we're going to play the game. It's pretty cool. Oh, and let's not forget Star Wars, The Rise of Kylo Ren by uh, Charles Soule and Will... Sliney. Sliney, yeah. yeah. Oh, my sweet boy, Will Oh, Sliney. he's a sweet boy from Ireland. All right, 
we, we can't just talk about comics, even though that's always fun. But Uniqlo just dropped a whole bunch of new Marvel yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love clothes. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, like, I hate buying clothes. It drives me nuts. But and yet you wear them every day. I know. Uh, some of the stuff in here includes, like, retro video game vibes and really dope hoodies. There's really cool designs. I bought, like, three or four T-shirts. Uh, go to Uniqlo.com. They didn't even pay for this. I just got so excited by this. Um, I haven't even seen this yet, so I got to go over. Yeah. Ryan, are you ready for New York Comic Con? I'm so ready. Wow. Oh, you need a flu shot. All right. Well, we are going to be live streaming from October 3rd to the 6th on Marvel.com. So even if you're not going to be there, if you're going to be there, come by the Marvel booth. We're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff there. But also, we're going to be live streaming if you're not there. We'll be there. Lorraine and I are both scheduled to do many things. So, yes, we'll be there. Yeah, um, and come to our TWIM panel. Come hang out with us. It is a Spider-Man spectacular panel. It's going to be on Thursday at 2.45 p.m. in room 1A24. Again, that's Thursday, 2.45, room 1A24. It's all about Spider-Man. We have Sean McGuire, Leah Williams, Pat Gleason, and Nick Lowe, resident excited man. And we're going to maybe give some stuff away and have some shenanigans and be best, 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 best friends. Yeah. So if you want to get stuff, you want to learn stuff, you want to talk about Spider-Man, that's going to be a place to do it. And also, Ryan and I filmed a really cool merch video. We're going to show you guys all of the cool New York Comic Con exclusives. You got to be at the con to get them unless you've got a really nice friend who wants to wait in line for you. Totally. Oh, man, that's so much stuff happening in the future. But, Lorraine, we got to talk about some stuff that has happened in Marvel history. It is time for This Week in Marvel History, talking about the week of September 20th through the 26th across our entire history. Let's get in the Marvel time machine. Doodly 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 Okay, we're Can here. Can you please save that little <laughs> sound and use it every week? Doodly doodly do. You mix the two of those together. All right, here we go. September 26th, 1943, one of Marvel's earliest female superheroes, Miss America, was introduced in Marvel Mystery Comics number 49. Her name was Madeline Joyce. It's kind of crazy because she sees somebody basically get zapped in a big science tower, for lack of a better terminology. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, I want to get zapped. And she like basically is like, move over, scientist. My turn for powers. Yeah. And then she gets them. And of course, she has like a rich uncle who... Just, like, gives her everything she needs to be a superhero. I don't know. She's amazing. Apparently she had, like, x-ray vision at the beginning. And they were like, oh, that's too much. Take that away. I mean, to be honest, there's not a lot of continuity checks. They're kind of like, yeah, she can do that. (laughs) I really highly enjoy it. Oh, and she was also hanging out with uh, Namor and Captain America in the All-Winner Squad. She was a a team player. Was she in Powers of a Girl? Uh, She is not in Powers of a Girl, but she has been in our history chats on the Women of Marvel podcast. Very cool. Uh, On September 25th, 1944, now we may know her as Hellcat these days, but Patsy Walker goes way back to the early days of Marvel, which was then known as Timely Comics. And she debuted this week in the pages of Miss America Magazine number two by Bessie Herman Little and Ruth Atkinson. And I'm sure Patsy is in Powers of Girl. Oh, Patsy's big time in Powers of a Girl. Um, Also, she is just awesome because she's had the weirdest history ever. And I love that she loved this guy Buzz all through the romance comics days. And then they broke up and got divorced. And then he became Mad Dog to fight Hellcat. I just love it. It's so good. Uh, There is a great Hellcat story 
by Zoe Quinn in the upcoming Fearless number three, I think. It's, uh, it'll be out, I believe, next week for those of you listening, uh, right when we put the episode out. It's really cool. It's got uh, a fun story of a Hellcat, Patsy Walker, and a new character that joins her. It's really cool. Ooh, I like that tease. Uh, September 23rd, 1975, Murder McTaggart debuts in Uncanny Axman number 96 by Chris Claremont, Bill Montalo, and Dave Cockrum. We'll never know what that sentence was, and that's fine. <laughs> Murder McTaggart debuts in Uncanny X-Men number 96 by Chris Claremont, Bill Mantlo, and Dave Cockrum. <laughs> only, only, <laughs> only a few issues into the all-new, all-different run, and things were getting wild. Uh, the team had just formed. They had seen a major loss after Thunderbird's death, uh, but this issue introduces one of the longest-lasting and seemingly now most important figures in X-Men history, Moira McTaggart. She's introduced here as someone who's hired, she's literally hired to take care of the house by Charles Xavier. She's essentially a housekeeper. That is how she's introduced. It blows my, I was reading the issue, I was like, wait, what's happening here? Because I think of Moira as, as a geneticist, a geneticist, one of the most brilliant, brilliant people, people ever, as like, what? And but but uh I'm this... here to clean your house. <laughs> Let me dust the cabinets. <laughs> and uh so uh she ends up running into battle with demons, the Nagari, who are introduced in this issue as well, with a machine gun. She like the X-Men are battling <laughs> and, and she comes in, she's like, let me at them. Wow, it's bananas. Uh, but it's great. Moira would turn out to be one of the world's most gifted geneticists. And if you're reading House of X and Powers of Ten, so much more. Very important. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right, September 25th, 1979, Uncanny X-Men number 129 is released. I was reading this issue literally this morning, which is one of the most important issues in Marvel Comics history. It's part of the legendary X-Men run by Chris Claremont and John Byrne, and it's the first official story part of the Dark Phoenix saga. It's the first appearance of Emma Frost, villain, hero, teacher, leader, icon, a white queen, lady from the inner circle, British lady, sometimes a diamondy girl. Black king at, at one point. <laughs> yeah. I just love that they're like chess pieces. That us. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's also the first appearance of Kitty Pride, one of the greatest X-Men characters of all time. She is but a young girl at this point, um, soon to be one of the dopest, illest X-Men ever. Um, but that is just the tease, just the beginning of the Hellfire Club with Sebastian Shaw, Donald Pierce, and the Massachusetts Academy, and much more. Yeah, it's packed with, like, crucial stuff. Yeah. Such a great issue. Uh, September 23rd, 1980, the mighty team of Chris Claremont and Frank Miller introduce Sean Coy Mon, a.k.a. Karma, in Marvel Team-Up number 100, featuring Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. It's actually, like, a heavy issue dealing with Sean and her siblings' origins in Vietnam, deeper family issues, mind control, possession, escaping war and oppression, and, and so much more. Uh, Karma would later go on to join the New Mutants, there's also, in this issue, a backup story by Claremont and John Byrne about Storm and T'Challa's connections, which I believe is their first story detailing that history. I, I was reading this and I was like, this is just like stealth, crucial, crucial stuff in here. I love that. 
Uh, September 22nd, 1987, X Factor number 24 by Louise and Walter Simonson. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, introduces a new version of one of the original X-Men taking the D-winged angel and introducing the ferocious horseman of death. Archangel, uh, complete with some like hot pink details. Oh, yeah. Archangel joins Apocalypse and his other horsemen to take down X Factor quickly and decisively. Also, um, I'm going to talk about this run a little bit later on. Me too. Because uh, I love that Louise Simonson's mind is like telling the darkest stories. It just brings me great joy because I think of her also as like a really joyful writer, but she just. She writes dope stuff. Yeah, and the two of like them the two together. of them together on X Factor is a long run. Mm-hmm. She starts the run without Walter, but he joins on and you know, within like the teens. But she's just like she's introducing Apocalypse. She's messing up everything you know about the X-Men. She's like Yeah, it's great. Um Big fan. Uh, I, I did want to make a note. So I, I put this together. The X Factor number 24. He's not actually called Archangel. It's really fascinating because oh, I was yeah. trying to put this together because of what we're going to talk about later. He's not called Archangel for a while. And it's like not even his own. Like he doesn't give himself the name. He just called, he's called Death or even the Dark Angel for a while. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, September 24th, 2008, Lady Bullseye debuts in Daredevil number 111 by Ed Brubaker and Clay Mann. Uh, she's a deadly assassin working for the hand. Uh, Lady Bullseye would later go on to kill and then resurrect some of Daredevil's allies as part of her plans for the hand. And speaking of Daredevil, uh, old Matt Murdock in this issue gets busy with Detective Dakota North. Uh, they're doing it, and he's married at the time, and his wife Mila is, I believe, in a mental institution. So Matt Murdock, terrible human being most yeah, of the time. Yeah, he is not necessarily great, but yeah. he is a devil. So, yeah. you know. We love him anyway. Um, hey, Ryan, what are the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List? The top books from Marvel's The Pull List this week include Star Wars, Age of Resistance, Ray number one, House of X number five, Valkyrie, Jane Foster number three, and Spider-Man number one. If you listen to Marvel's The Pull List, you know how excited we are about all those and how surprised, delightedly surprised I was by Spider-Man, by J.J. and Henry Abrams and Sarah Pakelli. Um, I read House of X number six last night on the subway. Got a little choked up. It was really good. Man, I'm on a feels roller coaster. I feel the same way about Jane Foster, uh, Valkyrie. I mean, it's so right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Feels. Yep. So many feels. Uh, you can, of course, subscribe to Marvel's The Pullist wherever you get your audio podcast. You can watch video versions on Marvel.com, Marvel YouTube, and everywhere else. Uh, Lorraine, now you're going to buy all those comic books. You might as well do it with the Marvel MasterCard because did you know you could be earning cashback rewards for buying comic books? How? With our advertiser this week, the Marvel MasterCard. Learn how at marvelmastercard.com slash twim. Heck to the yeah. I mean, obviously, Ryan, because you can earn 3% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with Marvel MasterCard. And you get 1% cashback rewards paid as a statement credit on all other purchases. There's no limit on the cashback rewards that you can earn. And you can enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of Marvel Unlimited, the subscription service that gives you access to like 25,000 comics. It's 
bananas. And you can choose your superhero card from one of six cool card designs like Iron Man and Black Panther and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. And on TWIM, we have a big talk, something where we dive into uh, a topic, a subject uh, as best we can. And so we had a great one here. This was suggested by listener Simon Williams. He tweeted, an idea for this week at Marvel Favorites. Favorite face and or heel turn in Marvel history. And he says, for you non-wrestling fans, that means a villain becoming a hero and vice versa. You know, think of um, Hulk Hogan when he... Um, Lived. Became Hollywood Hogan. Also, yes, became Hollywood Hogan. Um, or, you know, The Rock has turned heel. You know, any wrestler has turned heel. And so I, I one of the things I say a lot is, like, wrestling and comics are so similar. Yeah. Because good guys turn bad guys. Bad guys turn good guys. And they flip and they flop. Uh, and, and it's buff people fighting each other. Yeah. It's great. Everybody's fit and they're just, like, slamming each other. Uh, and so, they wear those little briefs. Oh, tiny little pants. And... Uh, <laughs> So heel turn makes perfect sense. Thank you, Simon. Uh, you get 10 billion twin points for that one. Let's let's dive in. Yeah, and Ryan and I have been doing this for the last few weeks, and we're going to keep doing it. So please keep suggesting things um, from our favorites of over 80 years of Marvel Comics. So Ryan, why don't you kick us off? Get us into it. Sure. My pick for favorite heel turn, I think, is Archangel. And it's really kind of two heel turns because, of course, you have... Warren Worthington, one of the original founding members of the X-Men, he's, you know, he's like a little pretty boy, he's rich, yada, yada, yada. He goes on for years and years, he's X-Men champions, all these other teams. But during Mutant Massacre, issue number 10 of X-Factor, remember we were going to talk about X-Factor, Warren Worthington's wings are mutilated, like horribly messed up that he gets basically impaled and then they are amputated kind of against his will by uh, Cameron Hodge who was pretending to be his best friend but was a super racist anti-mutant uh, like crusader who would then go on to do even worse things but uh, over in X-Factor 14 and 15 he basically uh, Warren's wings get amputated and that sends him on a downward spiral he nearly dies. People think he's like trying to commit suicide. But again, Cameron Hodge tries to kill him and uh, set him up. Uh, he is then taken in by Apocalypse. Apocalypse, uh, big deal, but not at, like this is like sort of like this part here is really stepping up and elevating Apocalypse to being the big bad that we know. He transforms Angel with uh, his celestial technology. Angel's reborn as Apocalypse's Horseman of Death with metal wings and blue skin. He appears very briefly in X-Factor number 23, but then really shows up in X-Factor number 24, fighting against uh, our friends in, you know, X-Factor, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Beast and Iceman. Uh, And he's just like full on evil. He's messed up. He's angry. But that only lasts like two issues. He quickly breaks free (laughs) of Apocalypse's influence because of the deep friendships and the love that he has for um, the rest of his his teammates. He he then like sort of goes off. He tries to figure out what his place is in the world. Uh, He gets some revenge uh, on various people. Like he goes after Cameron Hodge. He cuts Cameron Hodge's head off with his new metal wings at one point, which then Cameron Hodge later uh, gets his head grafted onto a giant robot body and ends up killing <laughs> Cypher or Warlock. I, it's oh, Extinction Agenda is a great story. Anyway, uh, he goes off. He 
Warren eventually comes back, links up with X-Factor, and in the aftermath of Inferno, he's given the moniker of Archangel by Beast. Because Beast is like, the, every, they're all like, ah, we did it, we're alive. And Beast is like, you're not the angel of death, you're not a dark angel, you're our Archangel. You saved us. It's a really sweet little moment. Um, and that's in X-Factor number 38. So that's the first heel turn, and then uh, back to uh, babyface turn, which at one point we can talk about a babyface turn on another episode. Um, can I tell you what's so crazy? What? Is that Ryan and I did not talk about this ahead of time. My issues line up with your issues. It's wild. Um, so I, maybe they, maybe just like Louise and Walter were just killing the heel turns uh, in general in their run. So my heel turn is Madeline Pryor. I love that she was introduced as this helpless woman kind of in a lot of ways. She's the clone of Jean Grey created by Mr. Sinister. She doesn't know that. She just thinks she's a lady trying to live her life being Madeline Pryor. She falls in love with Scott Summers. He's like, you look just like my ex. Let's get together because he's a creep. Yeah. Um, but they quickly get like married and have a baby. And she's like very much like the, oh, my husband's away fighting crimes and I must take care of the baby. And then he immediately leaves her as soon as she has this kid and he's a jerk. And he's like, oh, Jean Grey's back in the picture. So bye. And it's like, we're exactly the same, so why are you leaving me? Anyways, all of that aside, uh, this story kind of takes place in Uncanny X-Men. It starts around 2.34. It really all uh, shoots into, like, forward into 2.42. That's kind of where it wraps up. But it also crosses over with X-Factor throughout this whole run. Scott starts to leave her in X-Factor number one, and around X-Factor 37 and 38 is the big, huge fight at the end where Madeline ascends into her heeldom. So uh, around 2.34, she says hello to this demon named Siem, I think is how you say it. It's Siem, apostrophe Y-M. But he's kind of like, hey, do you like... Want to be cool? Look and at my like, great vest. Look at my sassy vest. I'm a purple dude. And she's like seduced in by this power. She immediately steps up into this power because she's so angry about being left behind. She immediately seduces Alex Summer, Scott Summer, her husband's brother, and pulls him to the dark side. Uh, before you know it, they're both wearing black loincloths that don't make sense scientifically to stay on. Oh, Alex's is so tiny. It's like, look it's at like all these It's like a Borat bikini. Oh, yeah, it's so good. It's literally a Borat bikini. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that being said, I love, even though she's super messed up and she essentially gives her baby to demons and fights the X-Men and wants nothing but to destroy Jean Grey, who she feels has destroyed her life with Scott, it's really fun to see this character who was kind of like the most helpless, like, oh, poor me character to just be like, I am evil. And also another dope moment in this whole turn uh, is when she seduces Alex Summers and she's like, I am the Goblin Queen. You can be a Goblin Prince. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's just like, Neil. And <laughs> she just has all these demon servants. I don't know. She's like a terrible person, but I truly enjoy it. It's really fun. It's it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a wild story. You know, if you want to get that, that's Inferno. Like just yeah. dig into Inferno. And then like, there's the tragic stuff, of course. So like, with sinister and like how how he manipulated all of it and, oh, and yeah. just her downfall and like poor Maddie, poor Maddie. I feel so bad for her and also, but 
there are a couple of moments in X Factor 37 and 38 where she's fighting Jean and you see Jean having sympathy for her and like them both sort of battling internally with what they're seeing in each other and then there's that awesome moment where you see Madeline Pryor like has an like a psychic energy like lasso around Jean's neck and she's like standing on her and it's so epic it's like really badass so good (laughs) so that all kind of took place in the same period but I'm gonna go back to Archangel because uh for years you know Warren then struggles with his reality and the duality of his nature uh and like after all the Inferno stuff um it it like he he lives a good life. He's part of the X-Men. He's part of everything for a while until 2010 uh, with this long story in the pages of Uncanny X-Force. And that really turns Archangel into the nightmarish Dark Angel. We get hints of Warren's heel, like bigger heel turn from the beginning of the story, like from issue number one. Uh, but things really start heating up with Uncanny X-Force number 10 and then into the Dark Angel saga from issues 11 through 18. Like this whole run of Uncanny X-Force is one of my favorites. Uh, Warren's heel turn in Dark Angel saga ties actually back to the beginning of how Apocalypse implanted the dark, dangerous, killer, Archangel personality inside Warren's brain all those many years ago, so Archangel would one day become the heir of Apocalypse. So he was sort of destined to become the great evil. The heel turn was just, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. So X-Force, particularly Psylocke, go through hell, go across dimensions. They go back to the age of Apocalypse. They suffer greatly in order to reach Archangel, who's become the ultimate evil. Eventually, um, Betsy has to stab him with uh, a life seed and, like, hold him as he dies. It's so sad. And then he comes back and naked, walking to her. She's like, oh, my God, you're alive. And he's like, who are you? As things are exploding around them. That's the end of the saga. It's so good. I remember reading that. That's a a feels one. Yeah. Big feels. feels one. Yeah. Uh, So as I, you know, I love this topic. And so I was thinking about some other great heel turns. Of course, Scarlet Witch. Avengers 500 through 503, that's Avengers Disassemble, where she kills so many Avengers um, and destroys the team, then leads into House of M 1 through 8, and then she gets her redemption in Avengers The Children's Crusade 1 through 9. Yeah, and then we have Scott Summers, um, his entire run, he's a heel. (laughs) That's my personal opinion. (laughs) Sick burn. No, we're really talking about Avengers versus X-Men 0 through 12 when he hooks up with the Phoenix Force because he's like, hey, what up? Yeah, so. Hey, girl, you up? It's me, Phoenix Force. I don't know. (laughs) They, They like get the Phoenix Force and it's divided between five of them. Uh, the Phoenix Five, it's like Scott, Emma, Cyclo- Colossus, or Colossus um, uh, Magic, and Namor. Yeah. And one by one, like the power gets taken away from each of them. So it's just Scott and Emma. And then he He's pulls. He's just like pulling all the power for himself. And um, he murders Charles Xavier. Yep, that's what happens. Cool. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, also, are we surprised? No. Are we surprised? No. Take that. Yeah. This is Scott Haters Anonymous. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, I also I wanted to talk about the the maker, aka Ultimate Reed Richards, who his heel turn oh, yeah. starts because he proposes to his Sue Storm, and she 
just doesn't want any part of it, that sets him down a path. That feels way too real for too many people you hear about. Uh, but this, if you want to read it, Ultimate Comics Doom 1 through 4, then Ultimate Comics The Ultimates 1 through 12, which is by Jonathan Hickman and a lot of Isad Rabih art, which is Beautiful, beautiful and amazing and if you like house of x and powers of 10 it like there's a lot of stuff that it shares thematically uh but even that full ultimates run ultimate comics the ultimates one through 30 i think towards the end of the run he does brain surgery on ultimate tony stark while stark is conscious that's how they do it just, that's just a fun fact oh but a lot like, of brain surgery, they keep you awake so they make sure they're not uh, oh i don't like that at all yeah i don't care for this conversation please move on who wants spaghetti? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to insert one here right Please. now. Um, I was going to do Dark Phoenix Saga. Obviously, one of the best heel turns of all time. That is in Uncanny X-Men from around 129 to 138. Jean gets the Phoenix powers not that much earlier than that. Uh, maybe 10 issues earlier or so. Yeah, they, they 101. Maybe for a couple of years she's the Phoenix, but then she uh, gets her mind and reality bent, and Jason she Wingard. she starts to think she's connected to her sort of past self, who was her ancestor. And anyways, they mess with her mind. She becomes the Dark Phoenix. She f's everything up, <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah. That's my official opinion. Yep. But uh, Ryan did an awesome deep dive on the Dark Phoenix saga a couple of months ago, so you can go back into the annals of twims and and find it yeah that was a lot of fun to put together and then the last one i have on the list is uh bishop bishop this is one of my favorite runs of comics it was from cable issues one through 24 really his mullet becomes evil he was bald you know what he didn't have the mullet <gasps> keeping that's what him it is like level that's what happens you shave all that beautiful hair off and what happens you go evil don't shave your heads anybody uh so Bishop, time traveler, he believes that Cable and Hope are going to destroy everything. And so he chases them, trying to kill them, and inadvertently becomes a more dangerous and destructive force than either of them become. He kills so much. And he's he's trying to murder a baby. Like, if that's not a heel turn, then I don't know what it is. But he's, in his own mind, he thinks he's the good guy. So it's... Doesn't everyone? It's yeah. Uh, those were uh, some heel turns. The I think we put together a pretty good list, if I do say so myself. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, do some face turns. Yeah, next we time. should do. Yeah, so you know, a baby face is a term for a good guy. Uh, but those were our picks. We want to know. I think this ties into our question of the week. What is your favorite Marvel heel turn? That means what is your favorite time when a good guy became a bad guy, or conversely? Which ones did we miss? Is there some uh, heel turn that we didn't talk about that you want to let us know about? You should tell us. Uh, use the hashtag on social media, This Week in Marvel, or you can just like email them to us, and that is twim, T-W-I-M, podcast at marvel.com, or you could just like send us a message on our Facebook page, which you should totally like, because then you can see cool stuff that we're doing. And that's facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Go that's figure. Right. Yeah, please send us all your stuff. But before we get to more from you listeners, uh, Lorraine, you had a nice little check this week. I did. I got to talk to Brad Meltzer, who is an incredible writer. He writes not only sort of like Tinker, Tinker, Tolder, Boyfriend, Spy. What are they called? Soldier, Tinkerer, 
Butler, Butler Mayhem, Cleaver, <laughs> Charnel. He writes sort of like uh, espionage, law stuff. Historical He's a lawyer. Historical stuff. fiction. But he also writes these really awesome books called the I Am series where he talks about different historical figures that have sort of changed our lives and our futures and showing – I think this is really inspiring. I'll let him say it, but uh, – kind of showing his kids that every day here exists uh, and that there's a lot more to life and you can change the world by doing something great. Yeah, and he does those books with Chris Eliopoulos, yeah. who is a former Marvel employee. He created uh, virtual calligraphy. So anytime if you listen to Marvel's Apollos and you hear us say, VC's so-and-so, VC is virtual calligraphy. Like the letter, almost all the lettering done in Marvel Comics comes as a result of Chris Eliopoulos and his crew. And Chris is the best. Yeah, and we also um, we revisit an old Twim chat that you guys had when our friend Ben Morris was here with us um, about TM Maple. Awesome. Well, let's dig in to that interview right now. I'm here with the incredible author Brad Meltzer, uh, and you've been on the show before, first of all. I have, which makes me very happy, because they usually don't let me go back to things. They're like, <laughs> done with me. Uh, well, we left the door open, so I'm glad you came back to us. I appreciate it. Uh, and you got to talk with the late, great Ben Morris. He's alive. He's um, alive. I should say that. Sure. Um, but he's off in Nevada uh, teaching and sh- sculpting young minds. That's right. In its own way. But I'm glad that you're here. Can you tell us your Marvel origin? My Marvel origin actually starts with, um, it was, uh, actually, it's perfect, with Son of Origins. Remember mm-hmm. the Son of Origins book was this kind of phone book size. It, it, now it would just look like a thick graphic novel, but they didn't make them, you know, there were no trade paperbacks back then. So there was there was Son of Origins. It was like one was Something Origins and one was Son of Origins, and it was a big compilation. And they gave you X Men one, and then they gave you a new X Men. They gave you Daredevil one, and then they gave you like a Vietnam era Daredevil, and then they gave you um, Shield one, and they gave you like a new. And it was all like that. Like you, but yeah. you got the number ones cheap, and then they gave you kind of like the new one was, and that was the first Marvel book I ever remember reading. And I remember seeing, I love two things in that book. I mean, you know, Nick Fury having a flying car that the wheels came up was always, you know. The best. The best, and I still yeah. want one. But the things that really impressed me then was I remember uh, I remember Daredevil, which I just loved. I just took to it. It was amazing, and it was a, it was a real character, and I liked them. But, man, did I love the X-Men. I mean, it was a yeah. school for kids with superpowers. And it was exactly even looking back what I still love today which is the idea that the only way you can ever win is you got to work together Um, but that was the origin was just X-Men and Daredevil and just watching you know Professor Xavier just be like X-Men to me and I was like (laughs) yes to him go to him and I remember there's this great moment in there where Iceman has to make like a Kind of, it almost looks like what a highlight player holds in the, those oh, kind yeah, of baskets, yeah, like, yeah. like those like reverse <laughs> baskets, and they shoot something at him, and he just makes it go backwards at him. I'm like, that is, he can beat anybody with that, with just mere ice. Like, who can't be beaten by that? But again, it was just me at the time. I was, you know, 
approaching puberty, and here came the pretty girl, and like the X-Men in that first book when Jean Grey shows up, I just lost my mind. Like, oh my gosh, there's a girl amidst the X-Men. What are they going to do? Forget Magneto. They, there's a woman there. I love that story. And so to me, it was so just, I'm too. just a child, right? But <laughs> it was exactly who was writing those books back then. They were written by children. They were absorbed by children. And as beautiful and simple and crazy as they are, um, they just wormed their way in my brain. So were you, like, influenced by Daredevil? Because didn't you go to Columbia Law also? I did. Also? So the whole thing was, so I went to Columbia Law School, which is where Matt Murdock goes. And I remember being, when I was there, I'm like, I'm him. Don't tell anyone. Like, I really like, felt hey, this Miller, affinity. No, I mean, and I remember, <laughs> listen, I remember reading Frank Miller's Daredevil and being like, what's this? Like, what? what is this? Because this is different than, you knew it was like when your parents let you watch a, a movie that's, you know, R when it was really, truly PG stuff. And you just knew this isn't appropriate for me, but boy, do I, there's good here. There's something I don't get, but I'm I'm getting some parts. Um, but Daredevil, I'm, a, I'm trained as a lawyer. Um, and listen, anyone who loves comics has a very visceral sense of right and wrong, right? We are black and white people. There's good and there's bad. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It means like we really... I, I found over time that people who love comics have a, an amazing sense of justice. Yeah. And and a rightful one, and we like to see the good guys win, and we we want to see when someone does bad that that won't stand in this world. And I remember going to law school and really being like, I, I get them. And I always threatened. I remember, who was it at the time? It must have been Jeff Loeb at the time. It was like my first Marvel pal. Yeah, he's and, now the head of Marvel Television. Head of Marvel Television. So I used to go, right, creator. so I, we, I was working on a TV show in L.A. called Jack and Bobby, and Loeb was on Smallville at the time. Mm. And they, we were in the same building, so everyone else was just whatever. They didn't care about the Smallville people because we were doing a different show. And I was like, Jeff Loeb's on that show. I read his comics. So I made my <laughs> way down there, and we became friends. And I always threatened to him that I'm like, I went to law school, and he was like, you need to write Daredevil. And I was like, one day, one day. So, yes, it was. he's my origin. I'm I'm just gonna keep my fingers crossed. Yeah, no, trust me, I love that book. I still no, oh, I'm Matt Murdock. Poor Matt Murdock. So is he your all-time favorite character? Or are there other characters that are? No, uh, I mean, listen, dear? I just did I just did Marvel 1000 with you guys. I mean, and they mm-hmm. let me pick anybody, and I pick Spider-Man. I mean, I love Captain America because he's just he's 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 it. He's good, right? And we need good in this world right now. The world is starving for good right now, and um, and I love Captain America. I love the Avengers. Daredevil is like the the more character driven part of me, but when I give him my choice and I can write one page for Marvel One Thousand, I pick Spidey. Yeah, I'm mad at you for that, by the way, because you made me cry, and I was at the office. Yeah, I appreciate that. That was very cruel of you. Yeah, you know that story. So Tom Revort and I have, you know, and I've talked to Joe here for years. I mean, since Identity Crisis days about coming to do something. And, and I've always been, you know, I always want to do it. I love and, and respect everyone here. They're all dear friends that I know for over a decade now. And um, they were like, come on, can you do one? I'm like, I don't have the time, I don't have the time. And, and Tom's like, jackass, it's one page. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't say no. And, and I had done Action Comics 1000 for my daughter. And the story in the book is about a daughter. Uh, is, and I put my daughter in it. And I and my, my two sons love Marvel. So I was like, this is going to be the perfect way to do something for my boys so my boys won't bother me anymore and I can actually <laughs> scratch my my nerd itch and that story came out of me instantly it was one of the like purest things I feel like I've ever written and um and full 
full credit to Julian for drawing the crap out of it. Uh, Tedesco like just killed it. And, and you got to work with Chris Eliopoulos, who yes. works with Marvel all the time. Um, if you've seen letters in her comics. If you've seen any <laughs> any know. vowels or consonants, you can bet that they were Chris's. Yeah, because he is the master letterer. But he also has worked with you quite a lot. Yeah, so Chris and I do a line of children's books called The Ordinary People Change the World series. And it, again, it started my sense of justice, right? It's like it's, uh, my, I watch my own kids looking at people who are famous for being famous. And I was like, I got so many better heroes that I can give them instead. And we started with, uh, you know, if I tell my daughter that Amelia Earhart's really cool, my daughter's like, big deal, Dad. You know, she flew across the Atlantic Ocean. Everyone flies across the Atlantic Ocean. She's not impressed. <laughs> but if I tell her, and this is true, that when Amelia Earhart was seven years old, she built a homemade roller coaster in her backyard. And she took a wooden crate and she put roller skating wheels on the bottom and she shoved it to the roof of her tool shed. And then she comes flying down the side in this crate on roller skating wheels and flies through the air, my daughter's like, Dad, more, more of that. And so we started with I Am Amelia Earhart. We did I Am Abraham Lincoln. We did I Am Rosa Parks. My son who loves sports, we did I Am Jackie Robinson. And we've done, you know, I Am... I counted them. There are nearly 30. Yeah, we, 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 um, we love doing these books. We did I Am Lucille Ball because I wanted my daughter to have a female entertainment hero. It wasn't just famous for being thin and pretty. That it was like, Lucy was like, it's okay to be different, right? That's the best part. We don't celebrate that today anymore. Um, in our comics, we try to, but the, being different is the best part of who we are, and we need to get back to that. So we just came out, as we, you and I are talking literally today, with I Am Walt Disney, which parent company, Synergy is happening here. I this know. is what Synergy looks like, people. It looks just like this. Um, we did I Am Marie Curie, the famed scientist, and we did I Am Walt Disney, which Chris Eliopoulos has been waiting to do his entire life. <laughs> he was like, screw Amelia Earhart, screw Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> screw them all. I want to do Walt Disney. Um, and Disney was really great and let us kind of play in the archives and, and hide lots of really fun Easter eggs in there. Well, and that's the thing that I think is so fun about the books as I was reading them is there there are so many tidbits, like you're saying about Amelia Earhart's roller coaster. Like there's so many little tidbits that I feel like you have to be a real historian or to really be sort of invested in finding the real truths and backstory to get and it's such like a delightful way to kind of yeah i mean listen walt disney is is the great american success story right Mm -hmm. and so we're all like oh he's got the happily ever after and he made the magic kingdom and life is grand but it was hard for him when he was a little boy and again we can all relate to this uh his dad wasn't even excited that he could draw yeah he didn't care about it he was like it was a bad thing it was his aunt who said hey you know what, you're good at this, Walt. You should keep drawing. Bought him like a pad to draw on. And when he's 21 years old, Walt Disney starts his first film company. It's a total disaster. It's a flop. They tell him he's going to have to declare bankruptcy. He's sleeping in his office. He takes a bath once a week in the local train station. You're bathing in the train station. Not a good look for anybody, right? But I want my kids to know and I need to know that the biggest dreams that we have, when you chase big dreams, you might fail. But when you get back up again, that's how you fly. And that's what I Am Walt Disney is about as a book. And so I have, you know, we have adults who buy them for themselves and, and obviously people who buy them for their kids. But I think in a strange odd way there, Chris and myself, it's our way of, of putting superheroes back in the universe, right? And, and not, not people that you worship and not heroes that you look up to and say they're, they're, you know, they're, they're completely incredible from the start. No one's born a hero. Comic fans know that better than anybody. But the general public doesn't. And we need to remember that whoever you look up to, whether it's Captain America or whether it's Spider-Man or whether it's, you know, Walt Disney or, you know, a Nobel Prize winning scientist named Marie Curie, 
no one, every one of them has moments where they're scared and they're terrified and they don't know if they can go on. And I know that Peter Parker is not real and Walt Disney is, but there's no difference to me in the two of them. They're part of, of the American quilt. They're a part of the American psyche. And, and we know that the best stories aren't the ones that tell you about other people. They're the ones that tell us about ourselves. And that's why Captain America is still here. And that's why Spider-Man is still here after all these years. That's why Marvel's here after 80 years is like, they're not just entertaining us. They tell us about ourselves and who we can be. Yeah, I, you know, it reminds me, I watched your TED Talk and I thought it was so powerful. The, the like the kind of thing that I kept thinking about after I had watched it is, you know, whenever anyone does something creative or especially because you're like, I'm going to take my little heart out and I'm going to put it out and I'm going to hope that people like it or enjoy it or whatever, that you face an enormous amount of failure in life. Uh, like the and the more of yourself that you kind of put out there, the more you have to kind of face what that is. But the the grit, as you said, to kind of like stand up and do it again and bigger and better and figure it out is kind of what makes it a hero. I guess you're just telling hero stories. Right, well, the thing is, is we tell <laughs> no hero, I, I think we, you know, the bad hero stories make the heroes, they're flawless. Mm-hmm. That's not real. Um, you know, I always say this, and I say, I'd say it about Peter Parker, but, I, you know, the best part of story is not Spider-Man. The best part of story is Peter Parker. And why? Because we're, we all know what it's like to be boring and ordinary and wish we could do something amazing. But we all can do something amazing, right? Go help one person. Be nice to one person. That's your answer. And I feel like, for me, I need those stories. I grew up needing those stories, right? I needed those stories. These characters were my friends. They were the ones, the only people I felt at that time when I was younger that understood me. And they, they taught me how to be a good person. And I think, to me, we have to stop thinking of our heroes as perfect and realize that every single one of us is brave and a coward. And we're um, incredible and we're awful and we're spectacular and we're selfish. And some of us in the same hour, some of us within the same minutes, we can be both. And it just depends on the day. And that's okay. That's, that's called being human. Can you write me bedtime stories? I would just, <laughs> I would just listen to that but uh, all, all the time. And also congratulations because the book series is now being adapted for PBS Kids. Is that right? Yeah. So they, we are doing a cartoon show. It's called – they're taking the I Am book series and, um, and using Chris Eliopoulos' beautiful art style – it's called Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum, and it's about a boy named Xavier, his sister Yadina, and their best friend Brad, the most handsome cartoon character you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> um, they gave me hair, which makes me happy as a cartoon character. <laughs> and um, they have a problem like they're being bullied. They go back in time in their secret museum to go meet Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks teaches them how to deal with bullies. They come to the present, and they deal with the bully. And we launch on PBS Kids on November 11th, 50 years and one day after the launch of Sesame Street. Aww. Like, no pressure, right? But, yeah. but, I, but I think it's important. Like, growing up, people like Jim Henson and Walt Disney and Mr. Rogers taught me you could use your creativity to put good into the world. And when I was five years old, I learned that. And here I am 40 years later, and that's all Chris Eliopoulos and I are trying to do with our I Am series is try to use our own creativity to put good into this world. And what I love is, you know, when I was five, I got sparked um, by Sesame Street and by Mickey Mouse and by these Mr. Rogers. And I love that right now there's some kid out there that hopefully is going to watch our cartoon show and get sparked. And 40 years from now, they're going to be sitting in the Marvel podcast and it's going to be in a flying car, right? But <laughs> Finally, that shield flying car. Right, and we're going to bring it together. I like how you put the bow on it. And, but they're going, to, they're going to be talking about their show that sparked them and her show's going to be amazing. 
And I can't wait to see when you tell kids what they're capable of. These aren't the stories of famous people. This is what we're all capable of in our best days. That's what Marvel is to me. These aren't the stories of superheroes. This is what we're all capable of in our best days. And I, I know there are so many people out there listening because I feel the same way that when you, you, know, you read that book that touches you, that comic, you just feel like you want to be a better person. And um, to be able to kind of add one little tiny, tiny, tiny little corner of that quilt is just the most humbling and amazing thing. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, now on the other side of this, yeah, you write all of these incredibly suspenseful. I murder <laughs> adult people. Books. Yes, I write. I write adult thrillers where I murder people all day long, <laughs> which is no better way to talk about children's television than talking about murdering <laughs> people horribly. I know, and people like you know. And again, I write comics too, but yeah, I don't think there. I, I, maybe this is just shows how naive I am, but I don't think there's any difference. I think a good story is a good story. True. Now, obviously. You can't use the language. You can't use, you know, the, the level of metaphor. You, you know, you have to kind of be more plain when you're writing for kids. But the best compliment we get is people who say, hey, I buy your kids' books for myself because I need that positivity. I need that message in the I Am series. And, and I think every, whether it's the thrillers, whether it's the one page in Marvel 1000, whether it's I Am Walt Disney, it's my core belief. I believe ordinary people change the world. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care how much money you make. That's all nonsense to me. I believe in regular people and their ability to affect change in this world. And it's why I believe in a seven-year-old girl named Amelia Earhart and a 15-year-old boy named Peter Parker. Um, you know, I just, that, that to me is, is the impact you can have. You know, it seems like you have been able to tie so many things about who you are into your work, um, including your deep love of history. I mean, you've been on television quite a bit for <laughs> talking about history and that kind of thing. You've also, you have a book about George Washington. Yeah, no, I love, listen, I, I, I believe that the best, most authentic story you can tell is your own story. It's my own story. That's all I'm telling over and over in different mediums and different genres and different formats. Um, and, you know, there's a guy, a dear friend named Simon Sinek. He has a great TED Talk that I highly recommend. And Simon's whole talk is about that our lives are like bullseyes with three circles. And the outside of the circle is what you do. And we all know what we do, right? Like you work at Marvel and I write and, and we know everyone knows what they do. The center, the second circle is is how you do what you do. So some you know, and some are harder to know. Like a plumber may know, I put this pipe to this pipe, and I put them together, and the water will flow. You know, editing or doing a podcast, or what makes a good podcast, or what makes a good story. It's like you kind of know, but how you do it. But a lot of it's gut. You know, you got to just trust your gut. So how is a little harder, especially in the creative front. But the most important part of the bullseye is the center circle, which is why you do what you do, and why you do what you do is everything. And he's like, the best companies and the best, most successful people understand their why. So Apple is not selling you a music player any more than they're selling you a computer, any more than they're selling you anything else. Like you can go buy, even back in the day, a Zune will play your thing just as many songs. But why do people wait in line for those first Apple iPods when they came out? Because Apple was selling the idea of thinking differently. Harley Davidson, you can go buy a Kawasaki that goes zero to 60 in the same exact speed but people tattoo a corporate logo of Harley-Davidson on their arm. Why? Because Harley-Davidson isn't selling motorcycles. What they're selling is the, uh, the middle finger to authority. That's what you're buying. That's their why. And, and Simon and I sat down, and he was the one who kind of really helped me understand that I believe ordinary people change the world. 
And when I said it to my mother, I'm like, I, talk, I was talking to my friend Simon, and he, he found my why. Like, that's my why. And my mom said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, she said to me. My mom had passed away a couple of years ago, but she, I remember her this moment. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I could have told you that. You've been like that your whole life. You've always been like that. And I just remember, like, kind of welling up and being so emotional about it. And I was like, I know, Mom, but I didn't know that about my— Like, you can't see yourself sometimes because you always see the flaws and you see the bad and you see, like, all the things that are bad about yourself. But you got to allow yourself to see the good and see what you stand for. And and I think for me, I realized—and I haven't made any art based on that, but I realized when I look back at my career and what I work on— that belief drives through everything I work on, whether it's the thrillers, whether it's the escape artist, you know, and you're reading a thriller, whether you're reading Spider-Man, whatever it is, that's my core belief, and it, it's my true north. It, it's wild to me because I've watched that TED Talk as well, and I, it's like something I go back to and think of, and it is just wild how, like, you can live your life the whole way and then you just hear you hear the the sentence said the right way on the right day for the very very first time and it just kind of like hits your well, it's soul a, you know it's a mirror to your soul right yeah. like my mom's like i could have told you that and i'm like mom but you didn't right mm-hmm. like that's why people go to therapy that's why people go <laughs> like that's why they hire simon that's why they but you know simon and i just were friends and so it worked out it was wonderful but you have you know it's hard to kind of like get the big picture of yourself because we again we just tend to not focus on that and and listen not not everything fits into neat little boxes but your own story is your best story and and your story is different than my story but it's just as beautiful just as amazing just as complex in every single way and you know i guarantee you um you know given enough time and you tell me about your life and you tell me about your childhood I'll figure out your why too. Like you have recurring themes in your life. Like I truly believe in life that we make the same mistakes over and over and over until we finally learn from them. And I know which ones I make over and over. I just keep making them. I'm I'm by no means, I screw up every single day over and over. And um, Don't we all? We all do, right? Again, that's okay. (laughs) But I think that if you can allow yourself to see that thing, you know, you find and find that recurring ripple in your life, it's pretty staggering how much we repeat and repeat and repeat. I know it really, it really, really is wild. But I mean, I think that's the thing that's so interesting too. In your like, in the people that you've chosen to feature in these I Am books, is they're kind of people who like continue to hit similar roadblocks or different things, but they just keep kind of finding interesting way to circumvent them. Like there, there's something about their brains that are like, okay, I'm not gonna like stop or let that stand in my way. Right. I mean, listen, and it's in every single hero. It's like Abraham Lincoln loses eight elections before he wins one. Like George Washington loses election. Like it's an incredible, you know, Lucille Ball is kicked out of her dance studio because they're like, you're not going to be good like your, this, your fellow dance person, Betty Davis. She's going to be successful and you're not. And every person that we work on, you know, Helen Keller, we did a book where the pages of the book go black when she goes blind. It says, this is how I see the world. Cover your ears. Here's how I hear the world. It said, and we put real Braille into the book, and it says, feel these dots? This is my name. My name's Helen. What's your name? And I watched my 17-year-old son with his eyes closed feeling the pages of this kid's book, right? Illustrated children's book. And he's like, Dad. He's feeling the Braille, and he's like, this one's really actually good. And I'm like, what's wrong with the other ones? You know? <laughs> like, I'm like, actually. I'm busting my ass here. Like, and and But the truth is, is that every Walt Disney failure after failure, Mickey Mouse, let's just talk about it a moment. When he comes up with the idea, he's like, I got an idea for a cartoon mouse. I got the name Mortimer Mouse. 
And his wife is like, Mortimer Mouse? She's like, that's a horrible name. That's literally her quote. It's a horrible name. And she says, what about Mickey? And he's like, yeah, we should call him Mickey. And it's not some overnight success story. The first Mickey Mouse cartoon doesn't even sell. But Walt Disney's superpower is simply that he doesn't let him stop him, right? He just keeps going and chasing and chasing the dream. And, you know, that's his great thing. And I want my kids to know that, and I need to know that every day. Like, keep fighting for it. Because every day I sit down to write, it's hard every day. <laughs> the best advice I ever got as a writer is someone said to me, Brad, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And I remember, like, exhaling in that moment and being like, thank you. I needed that. Like, that's a vital thing. But I still need that. And it's still an amazing thing. Um, but I, need, I write these books, as I said, with Chris. But I feel like I'm writing them for my kids, but I need them myself. I need to hear that Walt Disney failed over and over before he got the happily ever after. Yeah. I I mean, it's funny. I've, I've been reading a book that is essentially mostly about uh, how writing is just fighting your own brain <laughs> for oh, space. Yeah. Um <laughs> You describe not writing, but my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. Literally just the, the conversations that we have with ourselves constantly um, being the driving narrative. But I also love when I read the Walt Disney book, it always kind of takes me back to Tony Stark for some reason mm, because he has idea. that like industrialist sort of. Oh, he looks like him. He's got the little mustache like and everything. Him. It's perfect. Um, I like that. <laughs> well, and too, I think you feel it so much like when you see the old Howard Stark uh, in the MCU kind sure. of moments with and Stark Expo and all of those things, it feels like very Walt Disney, right? It's the, yeah. it's the first dream, right? It's the guy. If you said who was who in the real world could invent a vibranium shield, you'd be like mm, well, Walt Disney at the World's Fair. I bet could do that. Like that seems right to me, right? He's the equivalent. I never thought of that. Wow. I wonder if now I'm doing the math. Let's see. Walt Disney would have been around when they created him. I wonder who he's based on. I wonder who he's physically based on when they drew Tony Stark. Ah, I know. Now we're going to have to do some digging. He's somewhere between Walt Disney and like Errol Flynn, maybe. Yeah, he does look <laughs> a little Errol Flynn, that's for sure. But the mustache is like the move, right? That's the, the move. That is the move. We'll have to figure it out. Oh, also, uh, we have to wrap up, but I just have to say, I looked into, the last time you were here, you talked about TM Maple, Oh, Tim Maple, yeah, the letter. <laughs> you found them? I, I did a little researching. and, a, and Wait, we got to do background on who he is. Very quickly, in letters columns in the 80s, late 70s, and early 80s, and maybe even into the 90s, if you looked in the letters column, there was always a letter from T.M.Maple, and it was a fake name, and it was the best like letter writer. And there was no internet. So all you people who go on the internet and find everyone on Twitter, like, no, you had none of that. There was no one in your school like comics. You were all alone. Maybe there was one other person, but you had TM Maple to make you feel like you weren't alone in the universe. And now, and I didn't, no one knew in the last installment what happened. And here comes the finale. So he <laughs> apparently is a gentleman from Canada. And he was from Canada because it always said Canada in there. Yeah. And uh, he uh, went by the Mad Maple. Yeah, that was a story. Yep. But apparently, he was just a gentleman from Canada who wrote 3,000 uh, letters. Let me see if I can find his name. I believe it was Jed. I'm forgetting it right now. Yeah, we always thought head. it was a... F I, knew it was, I knew it was the Mad Maple. That was the start. Then it became TM Maple. I just don't want him to be dead. I don't know why. Jim Burke. Jim Burke was a his name. According to the internet. Okay. And my sleuthing is... Is he alive? Is Jim Burke. Uh, according to the internet, so I can't be held accountable... All, it's truth. It's on the internet. Don't he worry. lives on forever in comics. Oh, man. He does live on forever. Well, Jim, wherever you are, thank you for making me feel, as a little kid, not so alone in the universe. That was cool. 
it was cool that there was he would write these letters and he would tell you what he thought of that issue and he had these reactions that sometimes were yours and sometimes weren't but you just felt like there was another person out there who liked that same dumb crap you liked and now we have the internet to help us and we have Comic-Con to help us and we have basically every movie that's released this year to help us but for those of us uh, at some point in time it was TM Maple was that lifeline so thanks to him and thanks to you for talking with us appreciate it Big thanks to Brad. Go check out his TV show, his books, all the good stuff. But now it is time for community. First things first, we've got an email from our pal Samuel Lang who says, Just finished listening to the last episode of Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail. No spoilers, but that was awesome. Snick, 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 snick. That's that's what Wolverine says. He goes around and goes, snick, 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 snick. Um, We also got this awesome email from Jason Kim. He said, Dear Ryan and Lorraine, aloha from Hawaii. Uh, Since New York Comic Con is a couple of weeks away, what was slash were your best New York Comic Con experiences? I'm hoping to one day attend this great event. Thank you for all your hard work, and please continue to have fun making these podcast episodes. Aloha, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I remember sitting next, I think it was last year, just being on the couch next to Dan Slott and Angelique Rocher when we had the uh, cast and creators of the new Doctor Who series. Because oh, the yeah. two of them are such huge Doctor Who fans. I was just there to sort of like keep things on the rails. Uh, I was like, I was like, I like Doctor Who, but come on, like, whoa, figure this out. Yeah, I was also very excited about Jodie Whittaker, and I don't fan out as much as I used to because we get to be in this world all the time. But I was like, the doctor is here. Um, So I got a little excited. Um, What was my favorite New York Comic Con experience ever? Actually, I think my favorite thing, this is a general thing, but over the years, I see more and more little girls in superhero costumes. And it means so much to me. There was a trio of, I think, three or four little girls who were probably between the ages of like four and eight that were wearing like a Gwynpool and a Squirrel Girl and a, a Captain Marvel and a Miss Marvel. And I just, my, it made my heart feel so good because I think when I was a little girl, I was like, I want to dress up and there's only one costume and it has a plastic faceplate and it was a different character. Um, but I, it's just been so nice to see the community grow and change and be more inclusive. It's nice. Yeah. I also love seeing fans who come back year after year yeah. like uh, there's a, a dude named Alonzo who shows up every year and he was sick for a little while but like talking to him making sure he's okay like seeing him years and years in a row take a picture with with folks it's it's great makes me happy yay uh we gotta wrap this episode up with one more from simon williams he says well since you asked agent m listening to this week of marvel 411 all i could do was shake my head at the accent i can only imagine what triple p or Becca, has to deal with when you guys record. I will say, though, British Kitty is better than Italian Tucker from all those years ago. Finally, my nemesis Tucker knows his place. Yeah. <laughs> this is my heel turn. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oi, it's me, British Kitty, here to dominate. <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind, it's time for us to wrap this up. Next episode will be a live show. That will be in San Francisco. Please join us if you can. We'll be having uh, all the information on our website. And I think the episode after that will be live as well because we're going to be doing a live this week of Marvel at New York Comic Con. Yeah, if you scream loud, you can hear yourself. Yeah, scream at us. Well, I mean, if you're at the panel. Scream if you at us. At home, it won't help. If you see us, scream at us. I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Marvel.